Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day Spooky Season. Welcome to TGI Crime Day. Today's episode is part two of Urban Legends from Every State. I will have part one linked in the episode description, and as soon as part three is up, I will link that as well. So if you want to listen to those, you'll know where to find them. And if you want to share your own favorite urban legend from your hometown, please send me the story. I want to know. I had so many people in the last video that were like, oh, you should have done this one from this state or that one from this state, whatever. So if you have one that you like that's different than the one that I'm telling, or if it's the same one but you have a personal connection to it, please send those to me. I would really love to do a roundup of listener files of all of your favorite urban legends. So send those to tgicrimeday at gmail.com. And even if you're watching this or listening to this episode way after Halloween time, still send them in. There's no expiration date on this um, ask of mine. I want to hear them no matter what time of year it is. So send any of your hauntings, your strange encounters, uh, anything and everything in between. I would love to share your story in a future episode. And don't forget, I will read it exactly as you write it. So keep that in mind. Also, really quick before we dive into today's urban legends, um, a word about our sponsor, which is kind of funny because it's myself. Um, so some of you may or may not know if you follow me on social media, I have an online shop with handmade and carefully curated jewelry called Ginger Next Door. And today I'm wearing my little special Halloween earrings. Um, obviously, if you're listening audio only, you can't see them. But if you're watching on YouTube, here they are. They're little dangly earrings that have gold skulls with little rhinestone studs on them. I love these. I wear them all year, but they're especially perfect for Halloween time. So these ones are limited edition. And then I have a permanent collection of statement earrings um, and a few different chokers that are my far my best sellers. So these Halloween skulls are limited. So if you want it, get them. Once they're gone, that's it. So you can get these little Halloween earrings or any of the things on my shop for 10% off of your order when you use code TGIC, as in TGI Crime Day, okay? That will never expire. So again, if you're watching this in the future, even if it's two years from now, you can still use that code. So thank you for being here with me. Thank you for your support. And if you want to get anything from gingernextdoor.com, I'll have everything linked down in the description box or the show notes of the episode. In this jar are more states written on papers. Shake them up. What are we starting with today? Ooh, Washington, one of my favorite places. Just like we've got a lot of cursed bridges, there are many, many Hell's Gate legends, but something about the 13 Steps Cemetery in Washington stuck with me more than the others I read about. It's the perfect urban legend spooky story to tell around a campfire, so let's pretend we're roasting some marshmallows. Here we go. Woodville, Washington looks like any other picture-perfect suburb, but there is a small cemetery tucked away among the white picket fences. Maltby's Cemetery is said to be one of the most haunted cemeteries in Washington. One of the most famous ghost stories is the 13 Steps to Hell. At one point, there was a set of stairs in the middle of the cemetery that started at the ground level and then went down deeper into the ground, leading to nowhere, apparently. Supposedly, at one point, it led to the tomb of a wealthy family, but that has since been boarded up. The legend goes that local kids would dare their friends to walk down the steps and touch the tomb's wall, but one night, this dare went horribly wrong when one of the kids reached the bottom of the 13 steps, only to turn around and see into a window to hell. According to other stories, there were people who were so horrified by what they saw at the bottom of those steps that they were left unable to speak. Other stories say that people would go down these steps and somehow never return. This mysterious staircase was demolished, 
The ground was filled in, but that doesn't stop people from sneaking into the cemetery under the cover of darkness to see if they can make their way to Hell's Gate. What do you think? Would you ever do that? I'm a wimp. I would never do any of these things. <laughs> and we've got... Delaware. There are dozens of haunted bridge stories, but the story of Old Maggie's Bridge in Seaford, Delaware stuck with me more than any I've heard before. Legend has it that late one night almost 200 years ago, a woman named Maggie Bloxham was traveling along Woodland Church Road when something spooked her horse. The horse took off running, and this caused Maggie's carriage to flip over into a shallow creek, and unfortunately, Maggie did not survive the crash, and she has been haunting the bridge ever since. Maggie Bloxham is buried near the bridge, and many people who are much braver and maybe crazier than I am have gone to the bridge to see if they can get a reaction from Maggie. Legend goes that if you put your hands over the railings and call Maggie Maggie, I have your baby, which, pause, is rude, she will appear as a shadow and weird things will start to happen. Listen, if you bully a ghost, don't be surprised if they bully you back. They have every right. Apparently, you can also call Maggie by saying her name three times. It's like a Bloody Mary situation, I guess. This will only work during the witching hours from midnight to 3 a.m. And the first time you call out, Maggie, 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 you will hear horses coming your way. Call Maggie again and you will see a shadow creeping through the woods. Call her again three times and she will appear as an apparition, holding her head in her hands, begging you to reconnect it to her body and bring her back to life. Yikes a bikes, no thanks. If you are daring enough to visit Maggie at her bridge and turn off your car, many things can happen such as your windows being destroyed, you could see a shadow running around the tree line, you could hear baby noises or a woman screaming. You could see a ghostly horse carriage coming directly at you, or your car horn might randomly start honking. Once you've had enough and you are ready to go, your car won't start and you will be stuck sitting on Maggie's bridge until someone comes and helps you. North Dakota. Okay, one of the freakiest river creatures I've ever heard of comes from North Dakota. I'm a big fan of river monsters with Jeremy Wade, and this is unlike anything that's happened on that show. Records of this creature date back before Europeans arrived in America and ruined everything. What? In 1921, author Melvin Randolph Gilmore, a curator for the North Dakota State Historical Society, wrote a story about the creature after hearing about it from a Native American tale that was passed down through the Dakota tribe. This creature is known as the Minnewashatu, and it is a horrifying thing to stumble upon. Also, if you happen to be from this area and you know specifically how that is pronounced, let me know, because I heard it a few different ways. Minnewashatu seems to be the general way people are saying it, but please correct me nicely if I'm wrong. Just imagine you're walking along the banks of the Missouri River when something catches your eye. You look and see a creature with red buffalo-like hair, a single eye with a long horn, and a long jagged spine sticking out of its back. The good news is this, it doesn't eat humans. The bad news is one single glimpse of this creature will cause you to drop to your knees writhing in pain. If you were unlucky enough to look into its large single eye, you will go insane and die shortly afterward. Not great. So if you happen to be walking along the Missouri River and you see movement out of the corner of your eye, put your head down and keep walking. Oh, threw one on the floor. This one says, Vermont. Late one night in 1971, a farmer in Northfield, Vermont, went out to investigate after he heard a strange noise coming from his backyard. He flicked on his porch light, expecting to see an overeager squirrel or maybe a raccoon exploring his garbage can. However, when he looked out into the night, just past the glow of the porch light, 
he made eye contact with the figure, something you never want to do. As the farmer's eyes adjusted to the darkness, he realized this figure was a man who was covered head to toe in thin white hairs and had the face of a pig. The farmer was frozen in place, trying to make sense of what he was looking at, when the pig man dashed out of his yard into the night. A few days later, a group of teens leaving a school dance also encountered the pig man. They were of course horrified and bolted away as fast as they could while the pig man ran in the opposite direction. It seems like he's more scared of people than they are of him. Maybe it's an equal, a mutual fear. Ugh. Since these sightings in the 70s, there have been many people who have claimed to see the pig man in Northfield, saying he would jump in front of their cars on deserted roads. And these alleged sightings are reported so often that in 2015, the series Monsters and Mysteries in America covered this story. Have you seen the pig man? Have you heard about the pig man? Were you in this documentary? Please tell me everything. Does your town have a pig man? We've got a lot of goat men and pig people running wild across this country. Give that a little shake. We've got Mississippi. There is a cemetery in Yazoo City, Mississippi, which might be my favorite city name I've ever heard, that has what is allegedly a cursed witch's grave. There is no name on the grave where she is buried. She is simply known as the Witch of Yazoo. The legend goes that in the late 1800s, a woman was luring fishermen off of the Yazoo River and torturing them. After the men's bodies were found, the sheriff went after the witch. He pursued her in the muddy swamp near the river. The woman took off running, not paying attention to where she was headed, and ended up stuck in quicksand. As she slowly sank down to her death, she promised the sheriff that the town would be cursed and she would return in 20 years' time to burn the town to the ground. At the time, the city just thought it was the crazy ramblings of a madwoman who had murdered a bunch of people, but they still put a huge chain around her grave just in case. You never know with these things. The city forgot all about the woman and her curse until the fire of 1904. This fire devastated the city and burned down over 200 homes and almost every business in Yazoo, totaling 324 buildings destroyed. Witnesses said that these flames seemed strange and appeared to be leaping through the air, jumping onto the building next to them, even though there was no wind. The day after this fire, someone discovered that the chains around the witch's grave were broken. Local lore says that if each of the chain links are broken, the witch will return and seek her revenge, so they make sure to do regular maintenance on the chains and make sure that everything is secure. But many of them have reported that sometimes there are chain links that break unexpectedly shortly after they've been replaced. Up next is Massachusetts. Okay, I've been excited to talk about this one and let me know if you want a full episode about the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts because I will absolutely take that deep dive for you. To give you an overview of one of my favorite spooky places that I hope to someday visit, the Bridgewater Triangle has ghost stories, cryptids, infamous murder houses. It has everything. The Bridgewater Triangle is a 200 square mile area around the Fall River State Forest where all kinds of freaky shit is happening. According to Chris Pittman in the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, people who visit this swamp area later give, quote, consistent reports of an unearthly feeling of being watched, end quote. Ooh, shivers down my spine. The Fall River State Forest is notorious for rumors surrounding things like brutal murders, animal mutilations, satanic rituals, and supernatural things like UFOs, cloaked figures that disappear when you get too close, and floating orbs. There have been claims of Bigfoot sightings and stories of snakes that are so big that they mess with the trout population in the lake. That seems like it might not be a myth and it's just actually science, but still, scary. There have also been stories of frogs raining down into the murky waters. The Lizzie Borden house is also located in the Bridgewater Triangle, 
and there have been several unsolved, terrifying murders as recently as 2014 that have led people to believe there is a serial killer on the loose or some kind of cult activity happening in these woods. One of the most notable stories is that of a young boy who went missing in 1934. Four-year-old Alden Johnson was playing near the woods one day when his neighbors heard him screaming in pain. When they ran outside, Alden was nowhere to be found and the whole neighborhood was worried that he had been kidnapped. Police and 300 volunteer searchers showed up to help look for Aiden. They searched everywhere, including the ponds, all of the surrounding barns and houses to see if maybe he had just run somewhere and was hiding. The last place to search was the woods where only experienced searchers and the state police would go. Everyone feared the worst when Alden had been missing for over 24 hours and they were worried at that point that he could die from exposure if he was out in the woods somewhere. It was March and a horrible storm rolled in, dumping a freezing rain that made visibility really poor. Many of the searchers felt like the situation was hopeless when suddenly, Alden stumbled out of the trees toward them. The searchers were shocked, but of course thrilled to see him, and they said that he seemed like he was kind of in a daze. He was soaking wet and holding a bundle of sticks and small branches. When they ran over to him, he held out his bundle of sticks and twigs and asked them if they wanted to buy any of his flowers, which he didn't have. He was only holding sticks. There was not a flower in sight. But he was in great spirits and just kept going to each searcher asking if they wanted to buy some of his flowers that he picked. When Alden was safely home with his family, his parents asked him what happened, and he didn't remember a thing. It was like he had walked outside a few minutes before and not almost two full days before. He told his family that he just knew that he was supposed to go into the forest and pick flowers and sell them so that he could become rich. He didn't remember what made him scream so loudly, and he had no memory of being cold or wet from the rain. Alden was found right near the area where searchers had a bonfire going all night, but he said that he didn't remember seeing it as he walked through the forest picking his flowers. So that story definitely happened. This kid did go missing for a couple of days and they did find him safely. The lore kind of comes into, did someone lure him into the forest? Was it some kind of a spirit that convinced him to go wander in the forest and pick these flowers? It's very, it's creepy. Where to next? Colorado. Did you say Colorado or Colorado? You might already know where I'm going for Colorado. Of course, we have to talk about one of my favorite conspiracy theories, the Denver International Airport. Whether or not there's anything suspicious going on here, it's still a fascinating place to talk about because it's strange no matter which way you flip it. From alleged Illuminati symbols to a satanic horse statue, the Denver airport has everything. I'm just going to cover a couple of interesting pieces. Again, let me know if you want me to do a full deep dive video all about the Denver airport, because I will do it. As you pull up to the Denver airport, a huge 32-foot tall horse statue is there to greet you. This statue is a striking blue color and has glowing red eyes, and at first glance, this horse is definitely strange, but actually has a really sad story around it. The man who created the sculpture, Luis Jimenez, tragically died in an accident when part of the statue fell on him. This detail has led many people to believe that the horse statue is cursed. This earned the statue the nickname Blucifer, and conspiracy theorists believe that it's a symbol of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. As you head inside into the Jepson Terminal, there is a big capstone where they buried a time capsule that's supposed to be opened in 2094. And on this capstone, it says New World Airport Commission and has a Freemason symbol on it, which makes people think it's connected to the New World Order. On the capstone, there is a strange looking device that looks like a keyboard. Conspiracy theorists say that this is a piece of techno geometry that is used to communicate directional information to aliens. 
Maybe. Some people believe that the Denver International Airport will be used as a bunker for the end of the world because there is a massive tunnel system under the airport. These are just a couple of the dozen or so odd things that make the Denver airport such an interesting place to talk about that make people suspicious, which I don't think is unfair. There's plenty of other things, plenty of other things, but it is, it's a strange place. It's a very strange place. Here we go. Next one. Texas. If you are from Texas, please let me know if you're familiar with the legend of the candy lady, because this is one of the spookiest urban legends I have found so far. In 1895, a woman named Clara Crane was accused of killing her husband by giving him caramels that were laced with poison. A few years before the alleged murder, the Crane's five-year-old daughter passed away and Clara allegedly blamed her husband for their daughter's untimely death. Clara was placed in the North Texas Lunatic Asylum, and please remember, I'm not calling it that. It was the 1800s, that was what it was called back then. It's now known as the Terrell State Hospital. And during her time in the asylum, Clara supposedly fashioned a doll out of bedsheets that she called Mercy, which was the name of her daughter. Clara was often spotted singing and talking quietly to this makeshift doll. In 1899, the asylum was dealing with overcrowding, and even though they thought she had committed murder, Clara was seen as fit for release. There was no official record of where Clara ended up after this. This is where the legend of the Candy Lady begins. In 1903, children began going missing near her old property, and multiple children said that they would wake up in the morning to find candy placed on their windowsill. Sometimes there were notes with the candy luring the kids away from their homes, never to be seen again. Rumors started flying around the town that the candy lady, Clara Crane, was responsible for their disappearance. Allegedly, one day a farmer found a candy wrapper full of children's teeth in his field, and shortly after, the sheriff who was investigating the disappearances was found dead. Apparently, he had forks in his eyes and his pockets were full of candy, leading the town to believe that it was, in fact, the candy lady, Clara Crane. Bleak. Very, very bleak. Connecticut. Trumbull, Connecticut is home to Gregory's Four Corners Burial Ground. There are many legends about the Four Corners Burial Ground, but one of the most famous is a story that sometimes a ghostly apparition of a woman will appear in the middle of Spring Hill Road and cause drivers to crash into the headstone of Hannah Crana. According to folklore, Hannah Crana was a rather unpleasant woman, to put it simply. After her husband, Captain Joseph Hovey, died when he went for a walk and somehow toppled over a cliff, the town went from thinking Hannah was unpleasant to thinking she was a full-on witch. It was the only explanation they could come up with for how someone as smart and noble and well-to-do as Captain Hovey could simply just walk off of a cliff accidentally. The only answer was that his wife had to have put him under a spell and made him walk off of it. It seems like Hannah maybe leaned into this a little bit and played up her reputation around the town. Once she became a widow, Hannah demanded that her neighbors give her free food and firewood and allegedly a local farmer's wife refused to give her a pie that she'd baked, so Hannah put a curse on her and she was never able to bake again. Maybe she just didn't want to bake anymore and she said it was a curse, whatever. Hannah kept a pet rooster that some people believed was her witch's familiar. And one day her rooster, Old Boris, died suddenly and Hannah said that this meant that she was going to die too. She instructed a neighbor that her coffin must be carried by hand to the graveyard and that she should not be buried before sundown. Hannah died the next day, making that prophecy come true. The townspeople didn't really care what Hannah's wishes were. They were kind of not super sad that she died. And rather than carry her coffin by hand, they put it on a sled to drag to the cemetery. 
It was a very snowy day, and as they pulled the coffin up a slippery hill, the coffin slid back off of the sled all the way back down to Hannah's front door. When they finally managed to get the coffin to the cemetery, they buried her right after sunset. Like I said, the townspeople weren't exactly sad to see Hannah go, and they went to clear out her house and sell everything off after burying her, only to find the house engulfed in flames. Next we've got Arizona. Any community fans? Do you remember the episode when Chang is like, Arizona backwards is Arizona, it's a Palomino. As early as 1903, there have been reports of a mysterious creature dwelling near the Grand Canyon in Arizona. A man named I.W. Stevens said that he saw an ape-like humanoid creature that had a matted beard down to its knees and was covered in white hair. He said that the creature had two-inch claws on its talon-like fingers and that it made screeching noises that sounded like it was a woman screaming in pain. Very specific details. Another infamous sighting was told by a Boy Scout in the 1940s. Don Davis said that while he was on a scout camping trip near Payson, Arizona, he saw something strange moving through the trees. He said, quote, The creature was huge. Its eyes were deep-set and hard to see, but they seemed expressionless. His face seemed pretty much devoid of hair, but there seemed to be hair along the sides of his face. His chest, his shoulders, and his arms were massive, especially in the upper arms. I could see he was pretty hairy, but didn't observe really how thick the body hair was. The face slash head was very square, square sides, and a squared up chin, like a box. End quote. Fun fact, Don went on to become a cryptozoologist, and I like to believe it was because of this mysterious encounter with a cryptid in the woods when he was a kid that led him to want to go on and make a career out of it. Eventually, this creature was given the name the McGeehan Monster, and there have been plenty of sightings over the years. Again, this is one that is debated on how it's pronounced. McGeehan is the one that made the most sense to my brain. Tell me if you pronounce it differently if you are from this area. The McGeehan Monster is said to be nocturnal, omnivorous, and sometimes violently territorial. It's very tall and walks with a wide, unhuman gait, leaving massive footprints behind. It's been described as smelling like, quote, dead fish, a skunk with bad body odor, decaying peat moss, and the musk of a snapping turtle, end quote. How do people know what a snapping turtle smells like? If for some reason you enjoy running, you can run the annual McGeehan Monster 100 Marathon and go through a beautiful route up through the McGeehan Rim. Just keep an eye out for any huge hairy beasts that smell like snapping turtles. Although to be fair, if you've run 100 miles, I think anyone could be a huge hairy beast that smells like a snapping turtle. McGeehan Monster, what do you think? Have you seen him? Is he like Bigfoot? Oregon. Did you know there was a UFO sighting in Oregon that was called one of the most credible sightings of a UFO ever captured? Because I didn't. And let me tell you, it's fascinating. In 1950, a farmer named Paul Trent took two pictures of a large metallic disc that his wife Evelyn spotted hovering over their farm. That evening, Evelyn had been out feeding the rabbits around 745 when she looked up and saw something that looked like a huge parachute, but it had no strings and was a shiny silver and bronze color. After staring at the object, Evelyn dashed inside to the house to find Paul, and the couple ran back outside with their camera. Evelyn said that this silvery floating object was, quote, as pretty as anything I ever saw, end quote. Paul managed to snap two quick pictures before the object floated off into the evening mist. These photos went on to become the most famous photos to ever come out of Yamhill County, and Evelyn was probably thrilled about this because she had spotted a flying saucer on their farm at least three times over the years, but no one ever believed her. So finally, she had photos as proof and Paul backed her up and never wavered on what they saw that night. We love a man that backs up his woman. 
Like a lot of people who go through these unexplained experiences, they were met with a lot of skepticism and eventually, Paul just didn't want to talk about it anymore and he didn't want to keep defending what he saw. Forty years later, when two reporters asked them to retell their story from that night, Evelyn was happy to share her story. She started the interview and Paul said to her, quote, I told you to forget all about that, end quote. But Evelyn brushed off her husband and perfectly recounted that fateful night when she saw, quote, the magnificent disc hurtling toward the house, end quote. This is exciting. Do you think this is what people feel like when they pull the lottery numbers out of that little thing with the balls? Uh, New Mexico. Real quick before I start this one, I want to apologize in advance for my horrendous pronunciation. Unfortunately, I do not speak Spanish. I only speak English. I'm sorry. I promise I'm trying my best, but it's not going to sound great. The story of La Mala Ora from New Mexico is one of the spookiest tales, I think, in this bunch. The legend goes that if you are driving along a deserted stretch of road near Santa Fe, you might have an encounter with La Mala Ora, which translates to the bad hour. Legend has it that La Mala Ora appears at a dark crossroads and first appears as a ball of black energy, constantly moving and changing its size and shape. And if you stare at this projection of evil for too long, you will slowly go insane and it will kill you. It is said that sometimes La Mala Ora appears as a terrifying looking woman. And if this woman appears to you, it's a bad omen that someone close to you is going to die. One of the most famous internet stories of La Mala Ora was retold by S.E. Schlosser for the AmericanFolklore.net website. In this story, the storyteller describes a night where one of her closest friends, Isabella, called her up and told her that she and her husband were getting divorced. Isabella was devastated and asked her friend to come and stay with her so that she wouldn't have to be alone that night. Our author's husband was out of town on a business trip, so she decided to make the drive to Isabella's house. It was getting late when she reached a quiet road outside of Santa Fe, and this was when she saw something horrifying. As she was driving, a woman jumped out in front of her car, but when she slammed on the brakes, suddenly there was no one there. She thought that maybe she had just imagined it as her exhaustion set in, the soft rumble of her car lulling her into some kind of a trance. But then she said, quote, The car shuddered to a halt, and I looked frantically around for the woman. Then I saw her, right beside my window, looking in at me. She had the twisted face of a demon, eyes glowing red, and short, pointed teeth. I screamed as she leapt at my window, her clawed hands striking the glass. I put my foot down on the accelerator and the car leapt forward. For a few terrible moments, I ran along beside the car, keeping up easily and striking at me again and again. Then she fell behind and in the rearview mirror, I saw her growing taller and taller until she was as large as a tree. Red lights swirled around her like mist and she pointed after me. I could see her mouth moving, though I could not make out the words, end quote. Our author was understandably shaken and when she arrived at Isabella's house, Isabella told her this was a very bad sign. She tried to shake the feeling of dread that washed over her, but unfortunately, her gut feeling was right. The following day, she got a call from the police and before they could even get the words out, she knew. Her husband had been killed in a robbery while he was out of town on his business trip. This left her with the question, had Lamala Aura appeared to her as a warning? All right, my friends, we've reached the last one, and it is Kentucky. In a wooded area near Louisville, Kentucky, there stands an old railroad trestle where people say that something evil lurks. Whether or not you believe the story that long ago a circus train derailed and left behind one of the performers of the freak show, or the tale that a farmer sold his soul to Satan, 
One thing believers of this legend agree on is that there is a terrifying goat man, aka the Pope Lick monster, living in these woods. The goat man has been described by many alleged eyewitnesses as having dark fur all over his body, pale skin, goat legs, and horns. Legend has it, this creature hides out under a Northern Suffolk Railroad trestle and can mimic human voices and even hypnotize people, convincing them to climb up onto the trestle onto the train tracks only to meet their unfortunate demise. People often warn against going out and searching for this monster because there have been several awful accidents and deaths in the area that have happened while people are out searching. This area has been officially closed to the public for a long time, but as we know, that doesn't stop anyone from going and trying to search for this alleged goat man. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today and listening to these spooky tales. I feel like we had a lot of of, of cryptids in this episode. That wasn't planned, but I'm not mad about it. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts, and I will be back next week with another episode to get you in the spooky season mood. We still have two more episodes of Urban Legends from every state, so your state is coming soon if it hasn't already been covered. And again, don't forget to send me your emails with all your spooky stories. I would love to hear them. You can send those to tgicrimeday at gmail.com, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.